John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1086.2CH2118, certificate number 52937, the royal anus of Louis XIV. Have you been following the conspiracy theories about Yes. Her Majesty about anything. <laughs> about how where escalator steps go when they go around the top. Yes. They, they go under the earth to the to the and they're the secret escalator of the people that live in the center. There's a cavern of goblins down there that melt them down and make new steps and that's what comes out the, the bottom on the other side. <laughs> I was thinking of the conspiracy that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the conspiracy theories about uh her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. How she, how she never actually went to the moon. No, about how, she's, about how she's not... I don't believe that for a second. There are photographs of her on the moon, Ken. <laughs> you can see her shadow. You can see her reflected in Buzz Aldrin's helmet. Mm-hmm. You can see the corgis. Does this have to do with her son, Prince Andrew? Not so much. Just the fact that she's, uh, due to health challenges, she's, oh, she's, she's not, been stepping back from yeah, public life. You don't see her. So recently on Twitter, I, I mean, there's the 70th anniversary, the Platinum Jubilee is... That would be what she was crowned and coronated. She was coronated. She was coronated in uh, the summer of 1953, I think. So we're 70. So yeah, se- ne- next year would be the 70th, the Platinum Jubilee. Yeah. Nobody's I celebrate her entire catalog, but yeah, I, <coughs> I had, I had some silver Jubilee like teacups at some point. Silver is what? 25? Yeah. So those are from like 1978. Yeah. Exciting. I, yeah, they were, you know, there's even a, I think a silver jubilee, jubilee, like triumph motorcycle. I mean, they a lot of, made a lot of stuff. They made a lot of hay out of her silver jubilee, but the, yeah, the platinum one. Is there like a little bust of her between the handlebars of the triumph? Oh, it's completely decked out with paintings and corgis. British flags, corgis, <laughs> Burberry trench coats. Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, she's the longest reigning monarch in in uh, UK history. Yeah, no uh no king or queen of England or Britain has ever had a platinum jubilee. And of course, you know, there were probably centuries of ones who didn't even live to be 70, much less. There were centuries uh where they didn't live to be 17, let alone 70. She was hospitalized back in October with a back sprain and uh that seems fishy. 
that's right. a back sprain. The quote that circulated was that, you know, she's entered a new phase of her reign due to due to medical challenges. And, you know, the, the internet the new loved phase that. being dying. I think the new phase, you know, the internet was like the new phase is, you know, she's evolving into a different Pokemon oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or she's going to emerge from some kind of a gelatinous egg or. Uh, the internet is such a fun place. It's really a tragedy that I don't get to visit there more often. But ever since then, uh, there has, I've seen speculation on Twitter and TikTok and the like that. Um, Wait a minute! You're on TikTok? Oh, of course, Tumblr. What do you Twitch? Do, <laughs> what do you do on? If it TikTok? starts with a T, John. <laughs> if it has T and a short vowel, I, would, I am there. I would like to see some physical confirmation that you are on TikTok. Show me one thing Sh- that proves that you're on TikTok. Should I just do a series of TikTok dances for you right now? Well, no, I would okay, understand what they meant, but but show, you know, put, show me your phone. It's right there. Show me your TikTok account. I'm not on TikTok? Are you All kidding right, me? Right? Okay, good. My I, kids are. I was worried. My kids are. I'm a, I'm a one degree removed from mm-hmm. TikTok. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a TikTok <laughs> household. I celebrate its whole catalog. A lot of your friends are on TikTok. Some of my best friends are TikTokers. Uh, you know, just suggesting that you know the creek with the Queen's Christmas message was an AI deep fake. Right. That there's been a huge cover up. That she's in a you know coma, thirty stories beneath the Chancellery of the Exchequer or some made up building. So you and I are generally pretty dubious of involved conspiracies. Yeah. But there is a level of plausible conspiracy. There would be a soft landing if a if a monarch who'd been on the throne for almost 70 years started to have health challenges that were limiting her public he, persona and workload. Right? Yeah, I mean that that Anthony Bourdain documentary where the filmmaker deep faked his voice in a couple of places where he was reading aloud from something he'd obviously never tape he was doing voiceovers that were I don't know some some robot voice imitating him reading his texts or something. Oh yeah, the documentary. And the documentarian defended it as like that's ah, you know artistic license but if you had a sound alike doing it, you know, that's a thing. So how would you, uh, so, so there's that tricky realm of like, would the, would Buckingham palace have the queen like send a text that they deep faked? So her shaky voice didn't alarm people. I mean, it's very hard now to know where conspiracy ends and plausibility begins. If you had told me, if you had told me really anything that the Trump administration did before, if you'd come to me in yeah. 2015 and said, guess what the president's going to say in 2019. And he'll do it like four times a day. It, I, won't, it won't even I be a story. I would never have believed it. And now I guess we're post satire. And I guess the British crown is an institution with historically even less transparency than the Trump administration, you know, or, or any other Right. Conspiracy plagued organization you can think of. One conspiracy theory I've seen is that the they will uh even if she's hovering between life and death, they will hold off on the announcement until it's actually seventy years. Because nobody oh. wants her to have a sixty nine year reign. Oh no. The the most unfortunate reign length. And when when is the actual moment? Uh am I right that it's it was June nineteen fifty three? So June. When I when my um But not June of this year. Right, that would make it 
Oh, she they're not gonna they're not going to deep fake her for a year and but a half. But I guess hold on, the coronation is not the ascendance, right? When did she uh, when does is the Jubilee celebrate celebrate on the anniversary of the of the of the coronation in Westminster Abbey, or is it uh No, it wouldn't be. It would be her reign begins on the day her father died, right? And George the Sixth died the previous February. She really put off that coronation. I don't know that all that ascension stuff is really complicated. I don't think that you and I are in a position to say what the <clears throat> what the uh, order of the garter says about when her reign actually begins. Because why even have the investiture ceremony if it isn't significant? If it just begins the day her di- dad dies. So I guess that makes sense. They they want her to. If they can somehow not announce the death until February, the conspiracy theory goes. Right. We will never have to say the queen had a 69 69. When I was uh, King Neptune, I was King Neptune 68. Mm. And I really, which, you know, has resonance. Is it like I, a, is it a Roman numeral? Yeah. You were King Neptune, the LXXVIIth? That's right. And I really, really pleaded with them to just skip a year, please, and let me be King Neptune 69. And they said no. I feel like any King Neptune can be King Neptune 69 if he really puts his mind to it. Yeah. The amazing thing about Queen Elizabeth is that even though she's 1,000 years old Mm -hmm. and has the benefits of modern medicine to give us this unprecedented 70 or near 70-year reign She's the British throne. She gets transfusions of Keith Richards' blood. (laughs) She would still have to, let's see, she would have to survive on the throne. I mean, she doesn't have to stay on the throne. She's allowed to go for walks and and Mm -hmm. get in her her Land Rover. But she would have to live until like mid-2025 to hit the 72-and-a-half-year mark, which is still a record, of Louis XIV. No kidding. King of France from 1643 to 1715. He was on the throne for 72, 72 and a and half, half years. years. So long that he was succeeded by his own great grandson, who was five. I must have read that more than once, and I, I think I just blotted it out because it, it, it's so unreal. Yeah, it seems like a, especially back then, you know, it seems like a special effect. They called him the Sun King, but right. that. Here he comes. That stood for yeah. That stood for son. You're old. <laughs> He's not the longest reigning monarch, but of an independent sovereign state, yes. There's um, there are a bunch of, let's see, monarchs of Holy Roman Empire, quasi historical states like Lippa and Henneberg Schleusingen. You know, they had kings that literally ruled for 78, 80 years. The all-time record. Because they ruled from birth to death, or from when they were two mm, years old. Let's see. Let's take, for example, Bernhard VII of Lippa, who became who began to who became the Lord of Lippa on mm-hmm. in August 1429. That was one of my the subsidiary titles under King Neptune. But Lord no, of Lippa. He, but no, he was born the previous December, so he was a full ten. He was a ten month old. Oh. Uh, uh, he was a pudgy tot. Right. By the time he took the throne, he wasn't any kind of muling ex fetus. No. No, he was a he was a proud and regal. Sure. Ten month old. He could eat strained peas. Uh huh. The all-time record, Sobuja, Sobuja the second, the Swazi chief, the chief of Swaziland in southern Africa. Uh, unfortunately, you know he ruled for almost eighty-three years, from eighteen ninety-nine to nineteen eighty-two. Unfortunately, most of that was under British colonial rule, so not a 
not a sovereign right in the same way that um you know the king of thailand the uh let's see the 20th century prince of Liechtenstein was johan the good who reigned for over 70 years but nobody is touching louis the 14th's record there's not a lot of you know when you rule in Liechtenstein, you're not there's not a lot of sun damage Right, to, you're Correct. not going to die of, uh, of not, not a lot of stress. No, why would you age? Right, it's you, you, mountain air, clean mountain air. If we think that you know border skirmishes and and treaties are what age a, a ruler, Johann the Good of Liechtenstein is pretty insulated from any of that kind of In being sandwiched business. between the Swiss and the Austrians. Like most, they can take care of you. <laughs> everything's pretty well taken care of, right? There's not the mail's always going to arrive. It's no stress, really. It's like being the prime minister of Canada, really. Yeah, you've got easy job. You've got American missiles. You can you can <laughs> you can worry more about just having better health care and uh, better design postage stamps. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a safe and comfortable position to be in. Louis the Fourteenth, of course, was less safe and comfortable. Yes, uh, but wisely, you know, his his seventy two year rule is a time when. France turned from a, you know, essentially a feudal kingdom into a centralized modern state, an absolute monarchy of the, of the more modern variety. But he carefully preserved his power with a series of clever maneuvers, including basically by constructing Versailles, creating a gilded cage for his aristocracy. Right. So they couldn't get out. Right. So that all the nobility were right there under his control. Fighting with each other over shoe buckles. Squabbling over who got to sit closer to the suckling pig at dinner mm-hmm. or uh, or who got a nicer uh, statue or fountain out in the garden or whatever it was. Kind of like Trump has done with the Congress. <laughs> or, or one half of the Congress. And all those wealthy car dealership owners that go to his Florida <laughs> resorts. Um, so... But this particular story of Louis the Fourteenth, as we have already tipped off, has more to do with his lower regions than from his clever, uh, noble brain. Tipped off by the title of the episode, you mean? Yes. <clears throat> I mean, we've already said this episode will have a royal anus in it, which is not a promise we. Wait a minute! I don't remember saying that. Show. Oh, I said it right at the top, didn't I? Yeah, or at the bottom, as it were. Oof. Uh, this is going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of poop puns. I guess. Yeah. There's, there's definitely the potential for them. I don't, we, don't, we don't have to. Okay. We Let's have, not. We believe in free will. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to make them. I mean, so. I, don't, I don't actually believe in free will, but, you know, the illusion of it might be sufficient to keep us from making every intestinal pun we think of. Again, it's not going to be me that makes those puns. That's your vow. I mean, just, to, the, to the future listeners, just, just my nature, my nature excludes punning. You know, our culture, we think it, and, and it's not nearly universal, I think, to consider, uh, the excretory functions to be taboo and therefore in the hilarious. right situations, hilarious. Do you, do you think that's universal? Do you think I, animals even have a sense that they do, they've done something? Teehee? My dog doesn't seem to. No, dogs, no. They, my, they my have dog no looks, shame. My dog looks vulnerable while he's in the act. But then he just strides away, pleased to sponge. I mean, there's there's uh, there's shame that I don't think is universal that makes it funny, but I think it's always funny in a, in a in a lighter sense. Even if you're proud of your poop, it could be funny. Yeah, well, it's funny just because it's um, <clears throat> because it's a way that you can intrude upon others without actually touching them physically, right? Yeah, I'm I'm sitting all the way over here, but I got you. I reached out and touched you. 
I can't remember who it is, but somebody said they thought that the secret of poop jokes and pee jokes were that it, um, it allows us to simulate the shock and the taboo that comes with sexual humor without any actual sexuality, which has tricky emotional and interpersonal uh, overlap that pooping rarely does, at least in, in, as I practice it. I'm not German, but, uh, mm. you know, there's, it, it, it's more, you know, it, it has something of the, the private anatomical taboo without any of the sexual politics. But it does seem licentious, right? Or libertine. I mean, if you think about a really good, really good bowel movement, imagine some Puritans sitting in severe prayer, uh, tall, on, with tall hats. Yeah. Kneeling on, on, uh, like a, uh, splintery board and one of them, uh, farts. Are they going to giggle? No, they're incapable of giggling. It's against their religion. They would simply execute that man. Or, or, I mean, or do they, would they have some take on it that like, ah, the Lord has blessed us with, you know, the, the fact that you have released the, this pungent gas. I mean, what, what is the take where it isn't funny, but it isn't taboo? Is there, is there a, like a straight, I, get, I mean, I guess any doctor is going to have to yeah. talk about it with a straight face. But is there is that a is that a uh, uh, argument for not becoming not entering the medical profession? Yeah, you, you can no longer enjoy. <laughs> you can no longer enjoy poop and fart jokes. Yeah, I don't. You can't pick your nose and eat it. There's so many things as a doctor. You're probably you, you lose right. Uh, there were really no. I mean, it's part of our story that the medical profession was very different in 1685, which uh, is when on the morning of January the 15th. Louis the Fourteenth, or, or whoever is in charge of palpating every inch of his French corpus, discovers this is early on in his reign. No, in sixteen eighty. Yeah, well, I mean, comparatively, yes, it's in the forty-second year of his reign. <laughs> he still has thirty more years on the throne, uh-huh. and maybe as a result of spending so long on the throne, I mean, maybe that's some of his problem. Oh, there because you go, God, we talked about this. A lump is discovered in a place you don't want a lump Uh-oh. in his. Uh, his uh his rear end discovered how is he really 40 years into his reign getting massages that are such deep tissue that they're able to um <clears throat> discover like a like a prolapse well there are royal doctors in charge of uh, you know keeping an eye on every part of the royal body and recommending the right lotion or unguent but uh, but he may have discovered it himself in his private time and then brought it to their attention it's quite possible okay, okay. i mean Louis's hygiene habits are a part of this story. Uh, the The lump, which by February eighteenth is quite clearly is it in your head an abscess. <laughs> it's lump. It's lump. It's in his butt. It's an abscess. Yes, Ugh. and it, it's going to get worse. If you oh. didn't like the word abscess, maybe this is not the omnibus for you. Spoiler alert: Get out. By May the second, <laughs> the abscess. The absence. The abscess is a fistula. This is. Okay. We've had fistulae before on the yes, show. Yes, we have. I'm not saying people were clamoring for more, but this is against all odds the second omnibus, the fistula of a historical import sufficient to become an omnibus. Is it possible to have a spoiler alert that's so uh, that that is so um, emphasized that one of the co-hosts could punch out of the episode? <laughs> 
Are you saying you would rather have fistula free content? I mean, I'm just I'm just wondering how long I can hang in here before it just occurred to me that both of the fistula shows have been mine. You have never brought fistula mm. content to the table. Not a one. I, I as I'm going down my list, anyone that might have a fistula in it, I just exit off. John I Roderick, send them to you. The John Roderick guarantee. <laughs> fistula free podcasting for decades. No anal ulcerations. If you were to open a store, John, what would you sell? Oh, I've thought about this a lot. You know, vintage sweaters, um, cheap guitars, like old guitars, but cheap ones. Start making soap? No, I'm not like a, I'm not some artisanal shop guy. I think it would all be found. Just stuff you're trying to empty out of your house. Yeah, recycled garbage. There's that store in, you know, the 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 little seafaring store in Paul's Bow yeah. that sells like old stuff from. Old fishing uh, bobs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, just wrecked sh- ship stuff. I love that store. You just want to sell old diving helmets. I do. I want to find stuff and resell it. When you begin your old diving helmet store, let me recommend to you Shopify. Well, now, how is Shopify going to help me? It's, uh, it gives entrepreneurs the resources that like a big store would have so you could compete with them as a little entrepreneur. Oh, this is helpful because I worry about this. You worry like, about big diving helmet choking well, out your business. It's just like there are so many things that you need to have a cool online business and I wouldn't know where to start. Shopify does it all. It helps you reach customers online using social media, helps synchronize sales you've done on different venues and platforms. Exactly. It gives you reporting of your Profit margins and your conversion rates, and it helps you accept all major payment methods. It integrates all the behind-the-scenes stuff that has to happen for you to start selling diving helmets. See, this would be the stuff that was challenging for me, right? All the, like, I would get overwhelmed by trying to do all this myself. Let Shopify do it for you. It's Hmm. more than a store. It grows with you. And I've got an exciting deal that I want to offer you right now, John. Well, Well, what is it, Ken? If you go to shopify.com slash omnibus. Now that's easy to do. Slash omnibus, all lowercase. You're saying shopify.com slash omnibus and omnibus is all lowercase. The letter O, it's lowercase. Oh, I see. So don't capitalize O, even though we normally would. The letter M, equally lowercase. So don't do lowercase O and then capital M, which would be weird. Neither shalt thou capitalize (laughs) the N, the I, or the bus. Uh Uh-huh. If you do that, you will get a free 14-day trial, and that'll have full access to the entire suite of features Shopify offers. Two weeks. Two weeks. So you're saying I could grow my business with Shopify today by going to shopify.com slash all lowercase omnibus, but don't Type in all lowercase. Just type in the word omnibus, but do not hit the caps lock or shift key Right. while you do so. Shopify powers over 2 million businesses from first sale to full scale. First sale to full scale. That's Shopify. All the way from first sale to full scale. The full spectrum of things that rhyme with whale. Shopify.com slash omnibus right now. Shopify.com slash omnibus. A fistula is just a, you know, it's a tissue that shouldn't be connected to the surface becomes connected to the surface by a little tunnel. No, wait a minute. In Say this, that again. In this case, so uh, people, there's an opening. People like we we know there's an opening, but yeah. there's the, the in this case there's a second opening, an additional opening in the opening. Uh, humans like other mammals actually have anal glands. Uh, glands. I, I have a little dog who likes to. 
scoot himself around on the carpet sometimes when he gets plugged up back there. And I don't understand what's going on. I've met the dog. And I feel like our vet needs to be squeezing or palpating him more carefully to keep him from doing that because I don't know what's happening. I had a friend that had a dog that uh, if you startled the dog, which I did one time, it would excrete a material at a great velocity. It sounds like an alien. But it wasn't. It wasn't uh, poo. It was this other stuff, this right. black tar that was, I mean, you could smell it across the lake. It was so pungent. The interesting thing is that even though we don't have, you know, scent glands or, or back there the way a, a dog might, humans do have anal glands that are kind of just modified sweat glands providing, I assume, whatever moisture and lubrication that part of you needs. Hmm. Uh, his, close to punching out here, but go on. <laughs> the... We're talking, not John, not just about any anal gland, but this is about the royal anal glands of France. Yes. So have some respect, please. I, I do. I do. In this case, one of his majesty's glands has you know, become connected to the surface of his crack by mm. a passageway that should not exist. And is he making ambergris out of it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it should be. Every morning they're harvesting <laughs> the royal jelly from back there. It should be used in perfumery. From the royal crack. Um, no, it's just, it's not that different from hemorrhoids. His majesty had chronic constipation, apparently. Okay. Uh, He was reading Le Monde on the, on the John, Mm -hmm. the John, they call it there. (laughs) And he, he, he pushed a little too hard, a little too much effort. Ouch. And not all exercise pays off. Well, you know, see, this is one reason we can't tax the rich. They have problems just like the rest of us. Not problems maybe we don't have. The idleness of the rich leads to longer bathroom sitting. Yeah, he probably had. He doesn't have a boss knocking on the door being like, that's 10 minutes. Get back here, barista. He ate a lot of rich food, probably not a ton of roughage. Right. He should have been eating more roughage. His doctors prescribe him all kinds of lotions back there to soothe the ache and nothing works. It just keeps getting worse. Lotion technology had not yet evolved to Neutrogena. I mean... The tech, honestly, I think lotion technology might have been closer to ours than most things at the time. They yeah. could probably make a smooth goo. Yeah. Certainly the king's anal glands were. Sure. I'm not saying that's what they would make it out of. Smooth but goo, great band name. There were smooth goos <laughs> back then, I can only assume. I mean, it was probably goose fat or something yeah, that right. you, or, you or I would never rub back there. But, Speak for yourself. I'm more German than you. Yeah, I don't want to hear about, I don't need to hear about your, your poultry hobbies. But nothing works. The king loves a good sit. You know, he sits on his throne all day, and that's painful. He he can't ride, which is a huge part of his oh, life. Oh, sure, sure. And it's excruciating whenever he has to attempt a, a number deux, if you know what I mean. Anyone who knows um, what life is like or has ever lived knows that if, you're, if your bottom hurts, mm-hmm. boy, it's going to affect a lot more than just activities that you think of as being bottom-focused. It's the equivalent of the feet hurting on a waitress is the bottom hurting on a rich guy. Right? Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's his number one priority. Ease in the saddle. His number in the two seat. priority too. In this case. Oh, that priority. was me. I didn't, I, I don't do that. I, Look what you've done to me. I knew it was going to happen. Ruined me. I knew you would crack. It, in Versailles at this time, by the way, speaking of the King's bowel functions, there's a distinct lack of toilets. Didn't they go in pots behind curtains? Isn't that the old, the, old, the famous story? That's why they all wore so much perfume. Yeah, the king had a, the king and the queen had commodes, maybe, but that was really just a, a wooden shelf they could put their pot in before someone t- 
tossed it out the window for him, possibly hitting a, an out-of-favor mistress right. or, or courtier of some kind. It, there's famous stories from here about Versailles just being filthy. Um, the Horace Walpole comes from the British crown and just complains about the smell there. Stories were present, and this is probably not ubiquitous, but it probably happened fairly often that people would just, you know, lacking access to, there's no nearby toilets, instead of wanting to run up to where their chamber pot was, they would just go in a corner. So the halls were full of poop. The gardens would smell like manure. You know, the Romans um, had had plumbing. Elaborate. Oh, and the fountains here had plumbing. This is like uh, they chose to put in the fountains instead of the toilets. Uh, you know, when Disneyland opened, they only had enough time to do drinking fountains or toilets. Which do they choose? What would you choose? Let's say you're Walt in this scenario. What should we do, Mr. Disney? <laughs> I would put in, I think, wow, drinking fountains or toilets. The thing is, if you don't have drinking fountains, you might not notice. <laughs> you could put in neither, and then you'd be fine. But toilets, you're going to notice they're not being toilets. Oh, I see. Yes. Right? Whereas drinking fountains... I thought you were saying if there were no drinking fountains, nobody would need to pee anyway, so you're good. No, because you're selling Coke by the gallon. That's the issue. That, in fact, that's what Walt decided. If there's no drinking fountains, people can drink Coke. But if there's no toilets, no Coke bottler on earth can help you with that. Right. Um, in this case, though, they put in fountains and the idea of plumbing for for toilets seems to have escaped them. Right. And, and today we get lots of modern stories about how the, you know, the church at this time, the clergy were very anti-bathing. It was sinful to be naked. It was sinful to scrub oh. away at the, at the smelly parts. Oh, um, interesting that... Yeah, okay. And then there is some tradition of this. There were, you know, Pope there was a Pope Boniface who was anti-bathing. Many monasteries. Never nude. He was a never nude. He was a never nude. <laughs> he wore his mitre everywhere. Uh and there are some monasteries that would have strict, you know, twice a year max on bathing. But that seemed to be mo- these are mostly just kind of mini cultures. A lot of the, a lot of the stuff about the past being smelly is overblown and maybe even a little classist. It's mm. uh it's a you know, cuz we have texts from Comfortable, literate people saying, boy, the peasants sure do smell. I bet they never even bathe. But this is an example of the richest of the rich right. being covered in poops. And there were some cases like that. Apparently, like the legend about Isabella of Spain, you know, Columbus's famous patron, is that she only bathed twice in her life, and one of them was the day of her birth. And the other was her baptism? Wedding day, I think. Oh. So, yeah, like literally half her baths of her life were to get placenta off her. Hmm. Um, and, and those things have been told about Louis as well, that he only, you know, that he only bathed twice in his life. I feel like such a sinner. Because of all your bathing. Yeah. I take four baths a week if I can. The anti-religious, so this is, I'm saying this is overhyped. Like, uh, Christianity became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire at a time when there was a huge bathing culture there. Right. And they were, they, they existed hand in hand. There wasn't a lot of immediate, hey, what's going on in those? bathhouses let's let's cut that out i think we have a pretty good idea what was going on in those bathhouses honestly a lot of the the clerical antipathy to bathing probably did come from well these are these are actually brothels yeah i've seen the frescoes (laughs) you know what's going on in there (laughs) in louis time a lot of the anti-hygiene sentiment was actually coming from scientists sure (laughs) like we can't always blame somebody in a miter no you can count on the scientists to never be wrong because in this case, they're thinking, well, when you're bathing, you're naked, your, your, your pores are opening, and that's how the disease gets in. Yes, right. No, nothing's a bigger concern at this point than how do we keep people from getting cholera and dysentery, and bathing seemed, you know, to the, to the scientific mind, 
as a time when the body would be vulnerable to that kind of stuff. Well, and also if the if you're if there's cholera in the water, yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can keep your mouth closed when you're playing with your little submarine. I guess so, but can it get in? Can it get in through your under your fingernails? The cholera? I don't no, know. Probably not. Well, yeah, eventually it's going to find its way. You can't keep your mouth closed the whole time. If you've got a little extra tunnel in your bum, that there would, it is. That, Imagine Louis standing there with a towel and a duck, a rubber duck, and one of those comical long brushes that people in movies have before they get in. Do you, you bathe a lot? Do you have one of these comical long brushes? I do, and you know why? For your back. No. Oh. I realized, here's, here's a, hit, a, a, a real uh, thought technology. It's for your Twitter photos. of If you scrub your bathtub as the water is draining out, Instead of like, like climbing out, if you stay in there and scrub it with a scrub brush and soap as the water's draining out, you never have to clean your bathtub because you're doing it. You're doing it when you're still like in that. Is that the right time to do it too? Because it's still it's, it's still wet, a wet film instead of a dried on. Yeah, it's this liminal space between bath and not bath. It seems cold though. I don't want to be in there when the water level is. You can even have the shower on. Oh, what I'm saying talking. is later when you go back to scrub the bathtub, it's yeah. this big ordeal. But if you're in the bathtub already and you have the brush and you have the soap, like it just feels this, I mean, this, this was a discovery and I, it has changed my life because I used to have to scrub the bathtub. It was no fun. And now it has changed now mine. Now it's fun. It's, you know, my rubber ducky and I. Except that like Louis the Fourteenth, I never bathe. I don't know the last time I took a bath. Oh, bath. you're not a bather. No, huh. we have we have a, a showy old bathtub with feet, which I'm sure was great for the developer who was listing the house. Yeah, but which you a, would never in your life heavy. want to be in. Are you kidding? Those are the best bathtubs because the the cast iron holds the heat. It, but the shape of it is not comfy. Oh, it's not it's not uh, contoured for my for my body. Maybe I should come and take a bath at your house and just see. Do you think if that's it's? True. Do you think you can? You could make it work. I had a I had a, an old uh, cast iron bathtub that came from a an institution that was like meant to be filled with mud and cure consumption. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, some, nobody in there ever wanted to be in there. Well, no, I I did. I you could let the water out of that, and you could lay there in the tub with no water for another hour. And the tub would still radiate enough heat that it was not cold. Wow. So I would just sit in there in the in a dry bathtub and just meditate. And you've never had tuberculosis? Not at once. As a, as a result. Haven't even gotten COVID as far as I know. So being suspicious of of nudity and bathing, doctors would often say, look. Is that why you don't take a bath? Suspiciousness of nudity and bathing? I just I think showers are much, uh, a shower is constantly... Poking and prodding at you. It's like a bath plus plus one of those airport massage chairs. Hmm. or Which I would never sit in or, in a billion years. For, for hygiene reasons. <laughs> yeah, an airport massage chair. It's like, yeah. When I see people in those, I'm always thinking, what what series of choices has led you to that place, so sir or madam? Weird. Or a mild electric shock. A shower is just like a bath plus a mild electric shock. Oh, yeah, I can see that. You don't see that. Do you never shower or do you only shower when you're in a hurry? No, I shower at the end of a bath. Oh, I see. You take a bath. It's a whole then, process. Then you let the water out. You scrub the tub. Here's a thought. Turn te- the shower. Here's a thought on. technology for you, John. It's much shorter if you just go straight to the shower. No, I mean, and part of it is we live in the Northwest where water is abundant. Yeah. We you don't have just, to feel guilty. No, you can just open up the taps and let it run out sometimes into the a, street. Sometimes a salmon comes out <laughs> of your faucet. 
Um, so scientists at the time would think, you know, obviously, uh, you know, this person can't bathe, but they would look at the at the linen shirts or linen underclothing coming off of an unbathed person, and they would see all the grime, and they would think, ah, cloth draws out the dirt from the body. Oh, cloth! So you don't need to bathe. Cloth draws it out. You just put a clean shirt on. <laughs> So that was what they would, I mean, it's it, it's not likely that somebody like Louis XIV never bathed, but it's more likely that instead of submerging himself in water like you do, yeah, and thinking about that voodoo, but Soviet armaments, uh, that he would just, every morning, people would come out and put a new linen smock on his majesty and kind of maybe rub him down with some kind of alcohol or perfume and call it good. Now, when you're at Jeopardy, they change your shirt how many times when you are there for a recording day? We do a week and a day. So I show up in, you know, a t-shirt and then I have to change into a series of five dress shirts over the afternoon and how, then back into my t-shirt. How many helpers do they give you to change shirts? There are 64 women. <laughs> and each one has one shirt. That's her <laughs> responsibility? No, it's it's one lovely wardrobe man who is in charge of the whole shebang. But you don't shower or, or douse yourself in perfume or alcohol in between shirts. No, because I've only been in it for 45 minutes. It has not drawn out any of my, any of my internal uh, excrescences. Is it hot under those lights? Do you perspire? It's Do you most, get flops up sweat when you don't know how to pronounce a French word? It's mostly cold. It's, it's cold. Oh, like by the, by the cold. end of the day when the, and I don't even know if they keep it cold or if just those big old buildings resist heat. I mean, by the end of the day, it's a normal temperature out there and they climate control it so it doesn't get hot. But generally I'm very happy to be in a, in a wool suit. There is a, there is a shower in the dressing room, which has never been used. Like Alex did shows in on that stage since like 1994. So never used the shower. Yeah. 26 years. Probably that shower was never turned on. But it's still there, probably with some bar of dial soap that was purchased uh, sometime in the early '90s. Oh, you should turn it on and see if it if the water comes out uh, gold gold colored. What color? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, but despite all this, history does agree that Louis the Fourteenth did not smell great. His mistresses all said he had bad breath. Mm. There's a Russian quote from a Russian ambassador saying, "You know, you you're ushered into the king's presence and it smells like a wild animal. Mm-hmm. So, like, not even a horse, like a boar, a panther, or something. Yeah, exactly." <laughs> And he would often, and he was aware of this. Oh. Maybe there was less stigma, or maybe if you're the king, you don't care. But he would just open a window, you know, when he noticed a room was getting pungent from him. So this is both the hygiene that's probably contributing to his illness and the kind of the, it helps you understand the level of scientific awareness that's going to go into its cure. I bet having a an anal fistula doesn't improve the smell. No, absolutely not. Uh, the smell... It's a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Bad smells give you butt, butt problems, and butt problems give you bad smells. It's the circle of life. Back then, none of his doctors were interested in a surgical remedy because doctors didn't stoop to that sort of thing. Surgery was a thing that y- you contracted <laughs> out to the butcher? A doctor was a scholar who would sit and think about the body and its humors and uh, the best way to, to balance them all. Whereas the surgeon would just be a, yeah, like you say, a craft, a butcher, an an artisan, somebody who works with their hands. A a lofty doctor is not going to stoop to that. And surgery was off the table for the clergy, for the most part, ever since the Council of Tours in 1163, 
had specifically, I can't remember the Latin phrase, but it's basically like the church shrinks back from blood. Like the, the, you know, that's that's not how I think of the church. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Historically, I have some issues with that. They reformed that by 1492. (laughs) Yeah. Like Inca blood specifically, they were okay with, I guess. But the, you know, the idea was that there was something too bodily, too unwholesome for, uh, if, uh, if a cleric or a monk or somebody was actually to start getting into bones and tissues. I guess that was probably post Charlemagne too. So there was just a brief period around the council of tours where they were like, well, we're not going to behead or drown people anymore for a bit. For a bit. It's above, it's, it's beneath us for a little bit. And then. Are you implying that they would also do it as a bit? Like just to be funny? (laughs) Guess what? Guess what? Guess what happened to the Aztecs? For my next trick. Um, so the clergy can't do it, but all these, you know, centers of learning, especially monasteries, had very strict haircut rules. You know, you had to have a very well-kept tonsure, mm-hmm. kind of the opposite of the, of the John Roderick aesthetic right now. I have gone to the, the big, the big curly beard hair, hair in places where I don't even have places. Yeah. Uh, but back then the monks had to have a very strict haircutting regime. So there was always, there were always trained barbers. And you can see where I'm going with this. Oh, the barbers are also surgeons. That's what I'm saying. If the doctors won't do surgery and the priests doctrinally, theologically cannot do surgery, nobody is left with a nice sharp blade except for the barber. Ah. So at these monasteries and other places, this is the origin of barber as surgeon, which otherwise you would think would be a weird combination of jobs. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a SNL sketch, you know, of Steve Martin being a, a doctor, medieval doctor barber. I think that's the origin of the barber pole with the red and white stripes. It was a. It's the it's the the pole that's part of the 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 medical. What, yeah, like crest. a like a caduceus or whatever. Yeah, right, I think caduceus. the I think the the you know those, those would actually be like snakes. Yeah, or, or blood. I think like r- ribbons of blood. Oh. Um, you know, representing what that barber gets up to back there. Yeah. So doctors would refuse to operate. They would say, "Well, call a barber. I'm I'm busy." I'm busy thinking about the, the spirit and the tissues and the humors. Yeah, the humors, right. And Louis XIV's heroic barber in the story is one Charles Francois Félix. And the king calls in his barber and says, this is not getting any better. I can't sit down. We got to operate. As you can imagine, Charles Francois is reluctant. Oh, I thought he would be thrilled. You can see there'd be quite a bit of downside. Right. Oh, right. If he screw up in any way, yeah. If there's, you don't want to mess up on the royal bottom. Yeah. I mean, right. he would. He would be. I mean, this is a king who might just behead him if he thought it wasn't healing well, or if it poked. I mean, if we're, he shaved his pubes in a weird way. <laughs> exactly in a weird <laughs> shape, in a fleur de lis shape. <laughs> this is a time when there's no antibiotics, no anesthesia. Like this surgery is going to be one of the most unpleasant things King Louis will ever do, and. And the only thing that would drive him to do it is that it is already so unpleasant. Right. He's, he has to. Yeah. And you're, but you're right. There is quite a bit of upside for Felix here. You know, he could also be the, the hero of all of France who saved, who saved the king's derriere. So he cagely thinks about it and says, I need six months. Whoa. I need. That's a big ask. Well, <laughs> can you sit on your painful throne? Can you sit on your for big six ask? Six more months. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why he wants six months is he's not just putting him off. He wants to practice. 
And the, and the king says, my galleys and prisons are open to you. Oh, no. And so that's exactly what happens. Medical experimentation? For the following six months, he rounds up, over the next six months, he rounds up 75 men from the surrounding countryside, just, uh, you know, debtors and peasants who don't get a vote, and just starts poking at their bottoms, which I'm sure is not the first time a, a palace has done this to the local to the local. Uh, Surfs. Are they 75 people who have filled out a form that says, I also have uh, butt problems, or is it just like random No, people? I think he just needs to start getting into butts. I see. Healthy bottoms. Yeah. And he, he doesn't have the time to go around and try to find hemorrhoids. I mean, maybe with 75 people, maybe he is, in this time, he can find people with some he lucked out. sores and swellings back there and think, ah, this is, is going to be more like combat uh, operation, more like the real thing here. But this guy's now seeing three to four butts a week, huh. which is more than I've ever seen. Oh, well. Uh, you're, I mean, you're a musician. Yeah, when I was at the top of my rock game, three or four butts a week, sure. And he's able to refine his technique over this time. It really from, this is a, you know, he's a barber. This is not yeah. somebody who's an expert on what's going on back there. So he's doing exploratory surgery. Oh, there. I, I know some barbers that get up to a lot of mischief, Ken. <laughs> you know some barbers that know what's going on Have back there. Have you ever there. seen the movie Shampoo? <laughs> Ken, I want to talk to you about Squarespace. Oh boy. Is this an intervention? Uh, no, I've been, well, maybe like, uh, it, do you have a Ken Jennings website? I think you do. I do. And you know what? I've actually been thinking about putting some new stuff up there. I feel like it would be a good place to put like some, uh, some trivia puzzles now that I'm not doing an email anymore. Well, I've been using Squarespace for many years to publish johnroderick.com and I find it intuitive and uh, and incredibly cool, like because uh, you're not a web programmer I'm guy. I'm really not, and I you're for a bit a, of a rookie. For a long time, I, it was the barrier to entry of having a cool website was just that I didn't know how to use the tools and wasn't interested in learning. I feel like almost everybody needs a website for something, whether they've just got work they want to show off or you know, content writing they want to publish, blogging, if there's something they want to sell. And if what Squarespace does is Squarespace has these incredible templates created by world-class designers that are just waiting for you to populate them. They have e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online that, you know, it would be impossible to develop on your own. And it looks like you know what you're doing. You get a beautiful professional site in no time. It's optimized for mobile Right out of the box, which, you know, I can tell you there are still a lot of websites out there that are terrible on your phone. It looks like they pretty much do everything, including the hosting side. They give you analytics of how your site is doing. They can help you buy domains. They can You can choose over from, uh, from over 2,000 extensions. Optimize your search engine results. Like, it's really a one-stop shop with 24-7 customer service. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And we're encouraging people here at Omnibus to make it. Make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. What you want to do right now, if you are starting up a website, is head to squarespace.com slash omnibus. That'll give you a free trial. Then when you're ready to launch, if you use the offer code omnibus, you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So let me thank you, Squarespace, for hosting my own webpage, johnroderick.com, which I encourage everyone to go to right now. And uh, Squarespace has been a partner with me for over a decade, 
And thank you for supporting Omnibus and the Omnibus Project. Go to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And then with the offer code Omnibus, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thank you, Squarespace. So he, so he under, you know, he's starting to understand the structure of, of, uh, you know, things of that nature, things happening in that crack and where the, mm-hmm. where the, and he's examined the King. So, you know, he, he's trying different techniques on what you would do. As you can imagine, not all of his Guinea pigs survived. Oh, that's unfortunate. It is. That's well, not a good way to die. Lives are being sacrificed and it's probably not on the table. It's not. It's not blooding, bleeding out on the table. It's probably later infection. So it's yeah, probably right. pretty he, gory. He does a thing, and then he's like, "Thanks for your service." And they're like, "But, but, I wait a minute. I'd do it today." Ouch! The Secret Service comes to your door and says, "Mr. Jennings, the president's anus uh, needs you." The Secret Service comes to my door and says, "And says, Mr. Jennings, the president needs you." Comes to one's door and says, "Your name here." <laughs> <laughs> the president's rectum needs you. No, no. We, times the, have changed. Mr. Roderick, the president needs your anus. No. President time, Biden nope. needs your rectum. No, I did not ever. I did not join the Secret Service. I do not need to lay down my life for the president. We have a different. This is an absolute monarchy. No, I mean, this is not. But yeah. in Versailles, you don't have a lot of options. Right. Um. So over this over the six months, he not only refines his technique but also his tools. He he realizes he does not have the right tools for anal surgery. And who who among us can say we do? Who who among us is well equipped for Let me for that? Think. Do I have the right tools for anal surgery? I bet I could put together a toolkit. Like, a, is this an emotional toolkit or is this no? A, no, I mean, you know, I have some vintage you've got a surgical big, instruments. You've got a big garage full yeah, of things, and all these things. And when you look at the things he used, they do very much look like Syringes. contraptions. They are. Uh, you can still see them on display in Versailles. He invents a retractor, which really does look like a medieval torture instrument—thick black iron clamp thing. But conversely, the scalpel he develops is. A modern scalpel? No, but it's it's even better. It's curved. It's lithe and oh, it's like a delicate, like almost a scimitar, feminine. huh? Yeah, it is. the uh, The blade is long and curved in a very delicate way, and then it's got a long extending from the blade. It's got a long extension, maybe twice as long as the blade itself. Uh, a, a stiff probe. Hmm. So there's really Louis will have no secrets. We're, we're, this is this is a scalpel that does it all. We're barbers also. Making their own scissors. I mean, were were they metallurgical? Were they blacksmiths too? I doubt it. Right? Like that's the kind of thing where he's gonna have to partner with somebody. Yeah, he's gonna have to find a, a metal worker and draw a picture and say, "Here's the shape of His Majesty's fistula. Make right. me a blade that's this shape." Um, which you know, too bad the metal worker's account has not survived. Yeah. The metallurgist. He went to Wilkinson's sword and said, Here's what I need. And and he's trying to make something shaped like the inside of the king's butt. I just I'm picturing the king for six months going like, How's it going? How's it going? <laughs> hey, uh, did any more peasants die? No. Cause I haven't seen uh Jean Francois around lately. Mm, I think his mom is sick. But finally, Felix feels like he's got the tools and the know-how for the job. And at 7 a.m. on the morning of November 18th, a day 1686, living in for me. <laughs> and this is two years, uh, over two years, I think. Al- no, almost two years from the king first 
diagnosing problems back there. Amazing that he didn't die of infection in this time. Right, right. I guess whatever alcohol they're swabbing him down with works. He has an open fistula this entire time and and it needs to... And, well, and it must be infected if it's painful, right? I mean, that's not just... And he's, he needs to go to the bathroom every day like we all do. One would think. Everybody poops. It's right there in the book. Wow. What an awful, awful scenario. I was listening to a podcast recently. I don't want to name the show. But no, the, please don't. In, the, in their discussion, the co-host, the co-host kind of, one of the co-hosts accidentally revealed that um, he was surprised that the other co-host, and these are both fairly, these are like named celebrities. These aren't yeah. just yeah. goofballs in a basement like us. They, uh, he was surprised that the other person only pooped once a day. It was clear that he thought the correct number was much, much higher. Did I ever tell you the story? I, was, I think I would remember. I was drinking in. Uh, I was drinking at uh, the the Fish Inn in Northern Idaho, which is a bar shaped like a fish. It was at least. I don't know if it's still there. And uh, and the person I was drinking with was a Catholic priest. And the priest at one, we were drinking red beer, which is a combination of beer and tomato juice. A priest, a rabbi, and an indie rocker walk into a bar, <laughs> which was a popular drink in Northern Idaho at the time. Is that beer true? And beer, juice. but not yeah. still. I don't know. I haven't been to Northern Idaho in a while. And these days I just go through central Idaho. But then Northern Idaho all the time. Fish in. Look it up. It's probably still there. Or if not, it's, it's, it's beautiful up there. It's one of the things that America has lost. And I doubt if they even serve red beer anymore because I don't think it's probably legal. But anyway, this priest said to me at one point, we were having a, a, a jolly old time. And he said, how many times a day do you, do you make a BM is what he said. I don't even know if I'd heard that phrase before, BM. I was like, <clears throat> I don't know. What's a BM? And he was like, I mean, how many times a day do you- Do you make a big um, <laughs> <mess>. mistake? <laughs> and, and, uh, and he said, how many times a day do you poop? And I was like, I don't know, once? Is this, like, is this protected by the confessional? Is there, no, 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 is, there, is there a priest penitent clergy if you tell a priest how often you poop? I don't think so. Not at the fish inn. I think anything goes at the fish inn. And I said, once? And he was like, no, 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 no. And he proceeded to give me a real dressing down that I wasn't going poop the, what he considered to be the minimum, which was three times a day. Well, I, if I needed to, I would. No, no, no. Your, not, your do, holy father. You're not doing it right. Something's wrong if you don't poop in the morning, in the middle of the day, and then before bed. I love this earthy Friar Tuck character wandering out of the forest to give you advice. Well, and he was drunk too. I mean, that was the wonderful thing. We were, we were like arm in arm. He was like, no, no, man, let me tell you how it's got to be. You got to poop more. And I've carried that with me all these years. Is that what's kept you from organized religion? Yeah. Well, no, not <laughs> that. I've just been trying to live up to the expectations of this, of this father who, uh, who confided in me the, one of the truths. Because you had to assume he was getting that information from good authority. St. Augustine? Yeah, right. I mean, he's, he's going back and living in a world where they only bathe once a year and have to keep their hair trimmed a certain way. Not anymore. <laughs> he was. Father yeah. Mulcahy is extremely clean. He's my yeah. ideal of a 20th century Catholic. Well, and these are Jesuits too. So they definitely had not, sure. they did not sign up on the whole, like, don't spill any blood thing. This guy's got a slide rule probably. But I, I still think about that. Am I not pooping enough? And I think part of the problem was I'm not counting enough. Like when he asked me how many oh, times you weren't sure, I was like, I don't know. It's not a thing. I don't like you don't keep have a, a routine? diary. You don't have a routine. I don't have a, a routine. time a day. No, it's just ins I'm, when, that's when because I'm you've never had a day job. 
I feel like people with a day job know because they're like, I don't want to use the work bathroom. Oh, really? The, the one on the third floor is often empty during lunch. Oh, so they do it at a certain time every day. Yeah. <gasps> and I think many wow. avoid, and I think many avoid nine to five. I, I sure did when I worked in an office. Really? You didn't want to go to the bathroom at work? I don't want to poop at work. I mean, I guess it's it's more time away from your desk. Wow. But you have to remember, this was before smartphones. What does that change? Pooping's gotten so much better. In what way? Oh, because you, you can watch yeah, a video. You oh. can do the Wordle. What's that? <laughs> oh, the Wordle. Oh, the Wordle, sure. The Wordle seems like... I was like, a Wordle? It What's does, a Wordle? It does seem like something that would you'd have to see a proctologist about. <laughs> wordle. Uh, doctor, when I've been pooping, I've been dealing with the Wordle. He's the turtle on the Wordle. Uh, anyway, three hours under the knife. Oh, wow. I, I, I presume with the, with the royal... With the Behind royal retractor in the air, and the royal retractor opening up the glands, and the royal scalpel scooping things up, and all the courtiers standing around. It, there is a large group of people. The Dauphin is there. A priest is there in case, mm-hmm. you know, in case mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but after three hours later, uh, he closes him up and with puts, stitches or. The record does not reveal, with a but I th- <laughs> with a buckle, <laughs> Velcro having not been invented, I think surgical sutures are very old. Probably, probably made of gut. Uh, that's what I'm picturing here. Uh, and I could look this up in real time, but I'm not. This, I mean, this says the ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans knew. So yeah, I'm going to assume he has sewing, sewing needle and uh, mm-hmm. what's the adjective of sewing? Is there a word for that? He's got expertise of a blank nature. Of a... T- uh, tonsorial? Yeah, well... No, wait, that's, that's hair. Uh, um, it would be... Um, Sartorial? That's fashion. Uh, my my daughter's uh, grandmother is a seamstress. It's a, she's a... Um, is there a non-gender... Gendered way to say seam- seamstress? A seamer. <laughs> the seamy side of a the king. A seam maker. Anyway, the king has a seam at this point, is what yes, I'm saying. Good. He looks like a he looks like a football back there. And Taylor. Yeah, but that's still not an adjective. To what? Taylor is to is the verb. So yes. Taylor Taylor. I just thought there would be, I just thought there would be a cool Latinate yeah. adjective meaning relating to sewing. Taylor. Yeah, right. Tailored. Tailor made. No, maybe there yeah. isn't one. Uh, his there bank. is one for sure, and we're going to get a we're, lot of letters. 80 people right now are sending an identical email, and I want to thank you all individually. Let me just go to my inbox right now. Ping, 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 ping. It's blowing up. The bandages are soaked in burgundy wine, as befitting a bourbon Hot. monarch. Uh, and the recovery goes beautifully. I'm sure Felix is just probably doesn't sleep for a week. But the king is able to sit comfortably within a month. He's back in the saddle in three months, and all goes well. Felix is, order, is awarded some kind of a, a low baronetcy or some kind of noble title. Bespoken? Bespoke? I mean, that, that's an adjective for the garment, but not for the practice, right? Bespokery? <laughs> yeah, bespokery. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's it. Like the way you would say culinary for cooking. Yeah. What is the equivalent word for sewing? Uh, yeah, and right. maybe maybe we've discovered English doesn't have one, and it's time to make one. There's got to be a word. So there are various effects of the king's rear end brush with with death, or at least with pain and sickness. And the first is that, and this is the kind of thing that seems like it's a little overhyped by history, is that fistulas become fashionable at court. 
Oh, you're kidding. Isn't that what you would imagine it's happening at Versailles? Thing. Oh, yeah. my butt hurts too. So everybody's talking about how butt hurt they are. Oh, I think I might have a I might have a pang in the such a modern thing. In the defecatory regions. There's nothing new under the Dauphin. sun. hurtedness is, is There's nothing is new ancient. under nothing new under the pants. Under the bun. Uh, there we go. <laughs> See, you're getting into God, it. God, I hate it. You're in you're into the spirit of the I thing now. I hate it. In fact, it gets to the degree that uh, rear-end problems, hemorrhoids become so fashionable. It's not just people bragging about them. People actually begin, psychophants begin bandaging themselves back there and kind of flamboyantly showing up at court with visible bandages on their behind. Wow. But their outfits are so outrageous right. already. How do you, do you add are, are bandages? Are they putting the bandages over the bustle? <laughs> it's really hard to imagine. Uh, but there are actually two historical effects of greater interest, one of which is certain, the other of which is possibly apocryphal, but I choose to believe both because they're very good stories. Number one, this really changes the prestige of surgery. Oh. Looked upon as kind of a of a brutal, barbaric thing, unfit for higher minds. Once it saved the king's life, suddenly people have to grapple with the fact that, well, it might be messy, but people are going to live longer if we do this. I might live longer if if we get good at this. Well, everybody loves fancy tools, too. Up until that point, it, uh, uh, surgery was just lopping off people's gangrenous exactly. foot. Exactly. But now it's a fancy little thing that involves a, a whole, like, works. Yeah, I wonder if maybe there were no beautiful scalpels back then. A beautiful um, scalpel goes a long way. Louis the Fifth, uh, Louis's son, Louis the Fifteenth, creates the Royal Academy of Surgery, putting the practice of surgery on a academic par equivalent with any other part of medicine. Uh, a, a portrait is hung of the very first royal surgeon of France, Charles Francois Félix. And this changes the course of history. The day of the, the dabbling barber is over. If you've ever had an ingrown toenail or, uh, you know, I, I don't think you've ever had a toe amputated. I know I haven't. But if you've ever had any kind of surgery of that nature... You owe something to I used Dr. To Felix and perform King foot Louis. surgery on myself all the time. Bunions? Uh, in 1980, what would it have been? 89, I stepped on a pull tab from a pop can in Morocco. and it, That's a good way to get tetanus, I bet. Yeah, it cut into my foot deeply. What I was doing walking around barefoot in Morocco, I don't even remember. But It's the first paragraph of a Paul Bull story. And I had to keep, I couldn't, there wasn't anything I could do. I was traveling. I, I only had these little pointy-toed slippers that I bought in the in Fez. I didn't even have normal shoes. You were walking around with big curled, yeah, curled, curled toes. Curled toes with little tassels. Like an elf or and a sultan. So I was always bleeding in the shoes. I still have the shoes. They're still all, you know, basically it was a form of leather tanning. Uh, but what oh. happened was I got all this... Uh, I got all this dirt and gravel up in the wound mm. and then it healed over. Oh no. And so for years after you every cl you clunked when you took a step. Well, every once in a while my body would get a, you know, a sore on my foot and it would expel some Moroccan dirt over, you know, over the course of like a weeks of like my my foot in pain and kind of in, inflamed then some 
mud would come out from Morocco from two years prior. And so I got in the habit of actually, you know, having a little scalpel and, um, the sole of your foot is one part of your body. You can do that because yeah. it's, it's, uh, the nerve endings, you know, it's the skin is tough and calloused enough that you kind of feel like, Oh, I'll just, I can whack away here. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I'm, it wasn't on the soft part of the foot. I'm it not going to hit an aorta, an artery or something. It was some calloused part. And yeah. so, yeah. And you know, but it was gruesome work sometimes because it was always, the foot was always hurting in the first place. And then I'm in there with a knife like, Arr. and I just realized you cut your own hair. You are the I last do. amateur barber surgeon. I do. I'm a barber surgeon. And I want to add that to my business card. In addition to all the other great things, John Roderick, barber surgeon, King Neptune number 68. <laughs> Unless that was from the part of the show. We didn't, we cut out. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> the other effect of Louis, the 14th's anal surgery this is the the truer or the less true? No, the one about the prestige of surgery is absolutely true, and it's a legacy that continues today. Anytime you get minor surgery, you you can think of you can think of King the Sun King's rectum, mm-hmm. where the where the sun never shone. However, this is the one that may be apocryphal. In an 1834 memoir, a story is related by the Marquise de Crequy, one of the more popular and celebrated um, salon. Uh, uh, keepers of the time. You know how, how noble women of the time would have, yeah, sure, would have artists and musicians and thinkers over all the best people over. And so, in in her memoir of uh, her sparkling life in the upper class, she relates this story. Not uh, not twenty or thirty miles from Versailles at the time was a girls' school, um, run by a Madame de Brinon, who was had heard you know the word of the king's. Uh, discomfort and upcoming procedure had was had spread throughout the land. Right. Apparently, he did not keep it under his hat or under his bustle. And how could you resist not not telling your neighbor? Listen, don't tell anyone. He's an old kvetching guy at a deli now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the word gets around that His Majesty is suffering, and Madame de Brinon decides that at her girls' school, I'm imagining a bunch of little Madelines in uniforms. They are all the orphans or whoever are going to say, uh, uh, you know, a, a prayer to wish his majesty well every day as part of their, you know, their, their equivalent of their pledge of allegiance, I guess. Mm-hmm. So she writes up a little poem prayer that the girls say every day, wishing, uh, health and recovery and long life to his majesty. And later after his recovery, uh, this poem reaches the attention of, the court musician, Louis's court was also a great center of the arts. You know, he was a patron of Moliere and his greatest composer was Jean-Baptiste Lully. And uh, so Lully hears this poem and sets it to music and it becomes kind of a... House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> and it, this song gets played whenever, you know, it's kind of a, a welcoming song to his majesty to just to honor him. And according to the Marquise de Crequy's story, somehow this gets to England. Either 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 when James II is in exile there during the what do you call it the, the before the Restoration, the, but during the English Civil War, the Regnum, during the Interregnum, uh, or possibly uh, a composer like Handel coming from the continent brings it to England. I see where this is going. Her story is that the British do not know that every time they sing God Save the King or Today Queen, they are 
parroting a song that was composed for the royal rectum of the Bourbons and, uh, and wishing the king better butt health. And, uh, and now every time God Save the King is sung, it's, it's unconsciously with that historical legacy. That puts a whole new spin on the Platinum Jubilee. And that concludes the Royal Anus of Louis XIV, entry 1086.2CH2118, certificate number 52937, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, please share your photographs of your own anal fistulas. Fistulae. Fistulae at Omnibus Project. And then Ken will take the best fistulae photos and retweet them at Ken Jennings. I will be the judge. I will choose one lucky fistula Mm -hmm. and send it out to my countless followers. Or you can send it to me at John Roderick and I will maybe see it in six months. John will log on there and look. You keep a private file of... uh, of all the butt, of butt shots. Of people's hemorrhoids. <laughs> if you want to send me uh, shots of your butt that aren't infected, you can definitely DM me at John Roderick. Slide into his BMs. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com and send those photos to Ken, and they'll be read by Mindy and then forwarded to me. I Actually, I think I read most of the stuff before oh, Mindy. Okay. But because you say that, people have started to send email being like, Hey, uh, Ken, or actually probably Mindy. Hey, could you send this Mindy to Ken and John? <laughs> if you'd like to just write Mindy, you can at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Yeah, find out what she's up to. Uh, you can share your fistulae photos at Omnibus Futurelings, but I think the self-moderated quality of most Futurelings groups on Facebook and other places, they will shut you down fast if you start monkeying around with butt shots. You start posting surgical photos. I mean, the the right kind of surgical photos, I think, well, you would gather their acclaim, but the wrong kind. I mean, you have to go onto the sites and become a futureling and learn what the mores are. I don't think there's any kind of surgical photo I want. Do you watch, like, televised surgeries? I don't like uh, gore. Yeah. And I don't like gross things. Well, I have some bad news for you about about surgical photos. It's very hard for me to be on this show with you sometimes. Um, yeah, no, I, you know, that whole era in the, in the early nineties where like vivisection photographs and medical anomalies were really popular in alternative rock culture, like punk rock sort of, uh, autopsy photos and research books about body mutilation. You never had fetal pigs on your album covers? Not into it. I wasn't into it then. Cause you know what, Ken? I was never that edgy. I was never that edgy. Even no. now, not that edgy. How about a nice watercolor of a sunset? That's is, what I Is like. there anything wrong with that? You know, Not sh- in my book. Uh, painting should be of ships and horses. How about both? Ships and horses. Horses there it is. on ships. Um, but you can, if you have interesting things to send us, you can send them to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Ken, do you have any postcards we've gotten recently? There's a couple postcards. Amy, have, have we seen this before? Amy sent us a postcard from Fort Knox. She was in Louisville, and oh. there was an omnibus about Fort Knox. Thanks, Amy. And, oh, here's a holiday card from Sonia, and it looks like her dogs 
Hey, Sonia uh, and dogs. Running down some of the highlights of her 2021. She saw Weezer. Hmm. She was at the... I don't know whether to congratulate her or uh, send her my condolences. <laughs> Depends on which Weezer concert we're talking about. She was at the 13th annual Badminton Championship of the Universe, which I presume is not at a Weezer concert. This must have been a separate event. That feels like the World Series, um, which doesn't accurately reflect the whole world, but just the United States, Japan, and Central America. You don't think this was an interplanetary badminton meet? Think about all those. Think about all the badminton players in um, in Alpha the Alpha Centauri Cupier Belt. The, she went to 30 in-person trivia nights and had one quadrilateral contusion. I don't know what that is, but I hope you're, uh, I hope you're on the mend, Sonia. Uh, thank you for sending your postcards. And please, if you can, uh, support the show at patreon.com slash omnibus. Your contributions help us keep the lights on here at Omnibus Bunker. If you've made it this far in an hour-long podcast about hemorrhoids... You are exactly the kind of person whose support we are counting upon. That's right. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but the worst comes soon. This recording, like all our recordings, may be our final. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.